Welcome to Greenfish Blue Oceans, the podcast where stories about seafood are good for you in the oceans. I'm Maureen Barry. In this week's episode, I'm tackling P is for pink shrimp and pink salmon. I'll share conservation status, where to buy, recipe ideas, and more. If pink shrimp and salmon were in school, I'd grade them with three A's for abundance, availability, and appetizing. So why did I pick pink shrimp? Well, because I lived, played, and worked in Florida for 23 years, where pink shrimp are synonymous with palm trees and tropical breezes. But pink shrimp is not exclusive to Florida, so I'm going to talk about pink shrimp from Washington, Oregon, too. And I chose pink salmon because, well, I wrote a cookbook about salmon. But before I launch into this week's episode, I want to offer a moment of silence for the 43 people who lost their lives in Texas and the over 1,200 people in Bangladesh, India, and Nepal who lost their lives in the worst flood in over 40 years in South Asia. Also, I want to offer a huge thanks to the volunteers, police, firefighters, media, donors, truck drivers, and all of the amazing everyday people who are helping during these catastrophic, unprecedented events. So for a few minutes, bear with me. It's worth talking a little about hurricanes and how marine life is affected by storms before I launch into today's program. You know, of all the things to be afraid of in this big, small world we live in, the weather is at the top of the list for me. I think its unpredictability is its greatest strength. And even though scientists can predict with a certain amount of accuracy how fast a hurricane is, and where it will land within a few degrees of certainty, there's no way to predict what will happen after the storm has landed. I know. I have personal experience. On August 24, 1992, Category 5 Hurricane Andrew flattened South Florida. I lived 70 miles south in the Florida Keys. Now, I was one of the few thousand people who didn't evacuate, which sounds crazy saying it now, especially after what I witnessed. But initially, the storm was headed toward Fort Lauderdale, far enough away that we wouldn't be affected in the Middle Keys. Worth mentioning, we didn't have cell phones back then, and the internet was still in its infancy. But why didn't I leave? Well, I can say for sure I didn't want to leave my dachshund, Maxine. The shelters in Miami didn't allow for pets. So the day before, though, I thought I should just drive as far north as I possibly could. So I called Florida Highway Patrol, who couldn't offer advice. They did tell me, however, that traffic had come to a standstill 20 miles north on Duck Key, I feared I might die on the highway, 
I mean, Marathon, where I live, is only it was only one and a half miles wide at its widest point, and the other keys aren't much wider. But again, I thought if I could get north of Fort Lauderdale, I could hopefully find a hotel that would take my little dachshund and me. So I packed my car with a survivor's kit, rope, blankets, a pillow, dog food, a few gallons of water, a few turkey sandwiches, some canned tuna, a can opener, sterno, which I have no idea why I wanted to take sterno, um, a bottle of tequila. I remember that tip from a survival class I took during my freshman year in college. (laughs) I guess even in 1979, I was preparing for what, a catastrophic event? I don't know. Anyway, once the car was packed and I had Maxine in her seat, I turned the key and nothing happened. I tried it again. The car battery was dead. I was alone. I have to tell you, it was quiet. Most people I knew had evacuated. My ex, whom I had recently broken up with, was traveling in Argentina. My best friend's husband and his father were still on the island. So I went back in the house, picked up the white princess phone just inside the front door of the house and tried to maintain calm as I dialed the number. But I heard a crazy woman screaming into the phone, and it was me. I was crying. I remember hyperventilating, sick to my stomach. We were lucky. We had minimal damage in the keys, a few roofs blown off, some trees down. The biggest problem was we had no electricity. A few days after the storm had hit the mainland, I drove a friend north to Homestead Air Force Base. He was in Air Force Reserves. South Florida looked like an atomic bomb hit the area. There were no distinguishable road signs, nothing. It was gone. On the Air Force Base, F-16 fighter jets were turned upside down. Steel poles were bent at a 45-degree angle. Weeks went by. We had intermittent electricity for about three weeks. Reports from the mainland indicated there was a terrible stench emanating from Dade County. Was it dead fish? Maybe bodies? I don't know. The count of dead bodies wasn't that high, but people that lived there said otherwise. There were a lot of illegal immigrants in Dade County at that time. Remember, it's 1992. So now, with two massive floods going on at the same time, one receding in Texas, the other in South Asia, I wonder, I've always wondered, what happens below the surface? What happens to the fish? Well, it turns out plenty. Interestingly, sharks and larger marine animals can detect the tiniest bit of pressure and aren't as affected but smaller fish and shellfish, turtles, coral reefs are deeply affected. There's less oxygen in the water. There are changes in salinity. And of course, the violent pounding surf destroys plenty. And on land and sea, fisheries and aquaculture are also affected. These resources are important sources of food, nutrition, income, and food security for hundreds of millions of people around the world. When these coastal areas are destroyed by hurricanes, 
and tsunamis and floods. Well, Houston, we've got a problem. I'll be talking more in future podcasts about how weather patterns and natural catastrophes will affect us and our seafood. And I'm writing more about that Hurricane Andrew and my experiences in South Florida in my memoir, Hurricanes, Handcuffs, Pepper Spray, and Scrambled Eggs, a work in progress. You can find out more about me and that process on my website at maureenseaberry.com. Okay, I'll be right back with this week's episode. Hey guys, what's up? Welcome to the P is for Pink Shrimp part of the program. You know, when I do book events, the question I'm most often asked is, where do I buy my seafood? Well, when I lived in Central Florida, I bought my fish from the distributor and at the docks on the Atlantic Ocean and on the West Coast. And when I lived in the Keys, I fished for my dinner or I bought it from a local source. Since I moved to Western Kentucky, I buy my fish online or in the freezer aisle at the grocery store. One thing I always remember when I lived in the Keys, I ate pink shrimp exclusively. Pink shrimp are so tender and so sweet. I think they're the best of the best. Pink shrimp are harvested in Florida in the Gulf, in Mexico, in Washington State, and in Oregon. So first, let's talk about size and cost, because with shrimp, size does matter. And let's face it, unless you have an unlimited budget, then the cost of food matters too. So buying pink shrimp online from the Florida Keys costs between $16 and $20 a pound, depending on the size, plus shipping, which is usually around $50. So for a 10 to 15 count shrimp, which is considered a large shrimp, that means you get 10 to 15 shrimps per pound. So if you eat four ounces of shrimp, which sounds ridiculously skimpy if you're a shrimp fan, and uh, who isn't, of course, shrimp is the top consumed seafood in America. Um, With that 10 to 15 count, you'll get an average of three shrimps per person with a 10 to 15 count. For 2125s, which is considered a medium shrimp, that means 21 to 25 shrimp per pound. So you'll get about five to six pieces per four ounce portion. Now on the sustainability scale for pinks from the Gulf, it's kind of a mixed bag. For instance, Seafood Watch gives pink shrimp a good alternative rating, while OceanWise says to avoid pinks. And NOAA Fisheries gives it a four out of four. Oregon and Washington pinks have had the MSC certification since 2010, so that's terrific news. So, I know, right? How do you decide what? Well, you just have to follow the recommendations. And I think it kind of goes like this. If you live in and around Florida, you eat pinks. Well, you also eat whites and royal reds and rock shrimp, too. So, But if you live in and around Washington State and Oregon, you eat pinks. Well, for the rest of the country, we rely on wild American shrimp, whites from Louisiana, browns from Texas, for instance. 
And of course, if you have the means, then you can buy any kind of shrimp you want online from anywhere. If you do get your hands on some pinks or you live in one of those areas, here's a great recipe idea. Since pink shrimp are so incredibly sweet and tender, you don't want to do much. A classic chilled shrimp cocktail is best. And instead of a traditional spicy red cocktail sauce, try this raspberry radish dipping sauce. I'm not kidding, it's amazing. You need five ingredients. You need a half a cup of raspberry preserves, one tablespoon plus one teaspoon of horseradish, a tablespoon of balsamic raspberry vinegar, a teaspoon of citrus juice, you can use lemon, lime, or key lime juice, and one tablespoon of sour cream or a full-fat Greek yogurt. You add all ingredients in a small bowl, whisk, cover, and chill until you're ready to serve. And if you don't like or want the dairy, just omit it. I'm telling you, this sauce rocks. You're thinking spicy, sweet, mm, tart. Oh, it's delicious. You can even crush some fresh raspberries up in there. That would be really amazing. I put a link in the show notes with a recipe to raspberry radish sauce. And there's a traditional um, cocktail sauce in there too, if you want that. Okay. So I'm going to take a quick break and then I'll be back to finish out the program with P is for pink salmon. Be right back. Hey guys, what's up and welcome back to the P is for pink salmon part of the program. That's a lot of peas in there. <laughs> I'm hoping not. I'm not getting a lot of plosives. I, I probably am. I'll try to edit them out, but I'm, I can only do so much. Pink salmon, also known as humpback or humpy, are the heavy lifters in the Pacific salmon family. They're also the smallest of the Pacific salmon fish, weighing in at an average of four pounds, which is quite small. Pink salmon have a wide range of habitat, from Puget Sound in Washington State through Alaska, the Pacific Rim, Korea, and Japan. And because the pink salmon industry in Alaska is well-managed, the conservation status of pink salmon is not in danger. In fact, the entire global population of pink salmon is not in danger. Now here's a couple of cool pink salmon facts. A female can lay between 1,200 to 1,900 eggs during spawn season. That's June through October. Pink salmon's distinct pale pink color comes from the food they eat. Plankton, insects, squid krill, and small fish. Humpies are the most numerous of all the salmon and account for most of canned salmon. And the history of canning pink salmon dates to the late 1800s. I have a great salmon salad recipe in my cookbook, Salmon from Market to Plate, that would work really well with pink salmon. In the book, I use a sockeye salmon, but you can substitute canned salmon because you're just going to use flaked salmon. It's a cold salad. And then I toss the salmon with grapes, walnuts, celery, and mayonnaise. But it's an adaptable recipe. So for instance, in the springtime, I swap out the grapes for strawberries. 
I add pecans and fresh mint. Oh, so delicious. And in the summertime, I swap out the berries for tomatoes. I add basil and pistachio nuts. Mm -mm. Oh my gosh, it's such a quick, delicious, easy meal. In fact, if you're looking for salmon recipes, there are 30 salmon recipes plus shopping resources and much more in my little salmon cookbook. And I'm not too shy to say I'm proud of that book. I think you'll like it too. You can buy a copy at maureenseaberry.com forward slash books or wherever you buy books online. Salmon from Market to Plate is available in both print and ebook. Okay, so that's it for P is for Pink Salmon. Not much. Just remember, it's available, it's abundant, and it is appetizing. So thanks for listening to Greenfish Blue Oceans. Next up, Q is for Queen Scallops and Quotas. Subscribe on iTunes to Greenfish Blue Oceans and don't miss an episode. Thanks again so much for listening. I'm Maureen Berry. This is Greenfish Blue Oceans.